Before we dive into this week's episode, let's talk about Wolf and Shepherd. Wolf and Shepherd is redefining dress shoes with sneaker-like comfort. It's a classic dress shoe placed on an agile, athletic foam sole, so you get style with innovative comfort at the same time. Dress them up or dress them down for a more casual look. Gronk wears them, Steve Nash wears them, and you can too. Shop now at wolfandshepherd.com. That is Wolf and Shepherd, spelled W-O-L-F-A-N-D-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D.com. One last time, wolfandshepherd.com. And now, let's get to this week's episode of the podcast. He didn't see the thing falling. He don't really know how a gangster gone ball. He don't really know if I run or stand tall. He don't really know till they're coming. No, till they're coming. We go. All right, what is good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of In the Paint. Um, I told you I would would try to start doing these once a week. I think we're on we're on pace. An episode dropped last week. I think it was a Monday or a Tuesday, and this week we're, we're recording this episode on a Wednesday morning. Um, so hopefully we're keeping on um, that cadence of once a week. Um, before we get into anything, I just want to let you guys know to download, rate, review, subscribe. Um, to the podcast. You can find it on any sort of platform that streams podcasts. Um, thank you so much for listening. Please, please, please um, tell your friends, tell your fam, tell everybody about it. Um, like I said, we're going to get back on a normal cadence, so hopefully we can start to get some consistency um, and really get this thing popping off. Um, like I said, recording this on a Wednesday morning. Um, recording this, um, I'm just going to be very honest, recording this with a super heavy heart, um, super kind of all over the place um, with emotions and where my brain is. Um, obviously, this is a basketball podcast, and we're going to talk mostly basketball, um, but I'd be lying to you if my heart wasn't in other places and my brain wasn't in other places today. Um, so if you're listening to this and you haven't haven't heard what had happened yesterday, um, which was Tuesday, May 25th, um, an elementary school um, incurred a mass shooting, a massacre, um, where children and teachers were murdered. Um by an assault rifle, um, by by a handgun, plenty of different things being reported. But nonetheless, I think we can kind of confidently say that um, when parents are having to walk into a school to do DNA swabs to be able to identify if their children have been killed, it's because those kids have been have been shot in such a way that is so disgusting, um, and the the weapon that was used was with such force that bodies are unrecognizable. Um, that we can that we can condemn whatever weapon was used in that heinous crime. Um, somebody shot their grandmother and then went to an elementary school where kids ranged from seven to ten years old and decided to take the lives of. And if this number is inaccurate, uh, I'm. I've seen reports of different things. It sounds like 19 children have have been killed to this point. Um, the death toll was rising. Teacher, two teachers now have been killed. Um, someone's grandmother was killed. That person's grandmother was killed, but maybe other people's um, in that family. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because um, it has to stop. This madness has to stop. And I'm going to transition this into what Steve Kerr talked about because – for, for whatever whatever your opinions are of, of your political affiliation, and, and that shouldn't matter in this situation, by the way, but it always does. Um, 
So whatever you think of Steve Kerr as as a, a human being because of what he believes in politically or where he stands on the political spectrum, I don't give a rat's ass, to be quite honest. Because what he did yesterday before a basketball game, which, by the way, they were up 3-0 and they could have closed this game out. Spoiler, they didn't. We'll talk about that, obviously, when we get to that point. Um, what he did for three minutes, roughly two minutes and 45 seconds yesterday, at a press conference before the game, a pregame press conference, was he took no basketball questions. And I'm not saying that if, if he would have taken basketball questions, he did the wrong thing. Because a lot of times in this in this world, and mostly in this country, but a lot of times in this world, and this, um, you know, just to put it bluntly, or sorry, to put it more broadly, but in this country, um, it seems more bluntly that we have a we do a really good job of compartmentalizing. And sometimes that's sometimes we need that to be able to get through the day. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing that we do that. But sometimes we're like, well, you know. He just needs to be hyper-focused on a basketball game that his team needs to go win tonight. And to an extent, that's true. He is getting paid to be a basketball coach. So his at that moment, at 9 p.m. or you know 9.30 p.m. On, on Tuesday night, last night, he was paid to be hyper-focused to get his team ready for a basketball game. But as a human being, it was impossible for anybody to be only focusing on a basketball game last night. I had a friend who, side story, I had a friend who um, had been waiting months, maybe even years, a year or so, to go see a, a musical and a play in Columbus, Ohio, that was a Broadway play. And all he could think about, one of the major things he could think about while he's sitting in this amazing play, was all the shootings that have happened in these past 10 days, all in public places. So... It's impossible that Steve Kerr could only be thinking about a basketball game last night when when people are going to things that they've waited a year for or months for that they've paid hard-earned money for and all they can think about is, is this where my life is going to end tonight or today? But what Steve Kerr did was take no basketball questions and give a two-and-a-half-minute Im immaculate soliloquy on where we are in, in this country and how tired we are and how exhausted and how sad and how broken we all are. So I'm going to start off by saying if you haven't gotten a chance to watch that, please take two and a half, three minutes of your day, pause, take a second, deep breath because it's heavy, but then watch the video. Was something that I think we all can, can learn from and take from and be inspired by, which was I'm not talking about anything else tonight on this press conference, except for what happened in Texas today. So take some time um, and just listen to it. But the madness has to stop. It must stop. Those are children. And so it must stop. I'm tired. I'm tired of being tired. That's all I've got on that. Let's move into to basketball. Um, I know it's a tough transition to be able to do that, but let's just call this a distraction, will we? Shall we? Um, so we had um, we had a game four last night in the West, and we had a game four on Monday night in the East. And so I'm going to most mostly focus on those two games, and then I will obviously preview game five of Boston Miami that's happening Wednesday night tonight, and then I will also preview what I think happens in game five of the Warriors and the Mavs as well. But let's first talk um, the Monday night game, which was a couple nights ago, which was Boston and Miami. So let's just quickly go through kind of how this series has gone. 
Um, uh, last Tuesday, so not yesterday, but Tuesday, May seventeenth, Heat win by eleven, pretty much domination from the you know from the jump. Um, you could contribute that to whatever you want. Celtics being in, you know, kind of a, of, not kind of, a very, very physical series going to Game 7. They now have to play Miami, who's also super physical, maybe the most physical team in the league, and then contribute that to being tired and then physicality. Okay. Then Wednesday, the night after, we have the Warriors who blow out the Mavs um, by, I believe, that would be 25. Next game, Celtics win by 25. Completely dominate the Heat, no questions asked. Friday night. Warriors win again by only nine this time, so not a blowout. But um, the crazy thing about Game 2 was the the Mavericks completely dominated the entire game until the fourth quarter, and then the Warriors just completely obliterated the defense. The Mavericks were running, running completely figured it out, and win by end up winning by nine, even though the Mavericks blew that game. Saturday, we have the Heat, who win by six. However, that first quarter of the Heat-Celtics game, um, was completely a blowout, and basically the Heat just had to hold on from then and hold serve, and they did. Sunday, though, Warriors again win by nine, so it's a 3-0 lead in that series for the Warriors. Um, not a blowout, but, I mean, again, pretty pretty dominant win by, by the Warriors there. Monday night, we have a massive blowout by the Celtics. So in case you've been wondering with the, the East series, it went um, blowout in game one, Blowout in Game 2. Blowout in the first quarter of Game 3 and then held on. So, t- smaller blowout, but a blowout. And then Monday night, blowout. It has been not one competitive game at any point in the East series. In the West, there's been a couple blowouts. There's been games that like the score will tell you it's closer than it probably really was. But there's been blowouts in quarters as well. And now, last night... Mavericks blow out the Warriors. Sure, the Warriors brought it back to 10 in the fourth quarter, but like it was a 29-point game at one point, and at that point, I think the Mavericks were just trying to conserve some energy you know, for the Thursday night game they have to play back in, back in the Bay. So you're, you're hearing this, and you go, well, Matt, sounds like there's a pretty big theme going on, right? Like a lot of blowouts in this playoffs. Some injuries. Marcus Smart didn't play. Um, Tyler Hero didn't play the last game. Jimmy Butler didn't play the second half of one of those games, which helped Boston to come back a little bit. Um, Jason Tatum hurt a, hurt a shoulder, it looked like. So what do we do? Is it too many games? Is it is it just unfortunate? Um, you know, I, I don't really know what the answer is. Um, because I'm sure, you know, as these games get a little tighter, like, don't get me wrong, I don't think that every single game in this series for this East conference finals is going to be a blowout but I'm also not convinced that any of them are going to necessarily be super super competitive I have no I have no history to believe that based on these these series as have they've gone so far um and so I don't really know if there's a solution you know I don't know if there's if there's something that we really can do I know they're you know they're looking at doing like an in-season tournament you know to try to to try to add some spice to, to the season. But again, that just means probably more games. So I guess you have to shorten the regular season. But we know that owners of teams and people don't want to do that because of the revenue, the RSNs and all that stuff. So I don't really know what the solution is. But um, let's let's just kind of dive into two games, four of both of these. Because again, it was mostly blowouts leading up to, 
to these games. And so Monday night, we have another blowout, 102-82. to Celtics take down the Heat. Um, the Heat scored a combined 33 points in, in the first half, which is just atrocious. And the Celtics had 57. Um, so basically, the, the, the Celtics and the Heat are more alike than they know. They're both built on physicality and defense. But they both have tremendous. They have both have tremendous stretches of when they can't score. Like offense gets so bogged down, and it is like it's like watching high school basketball at times. Like that's how bad these offenses can get. And then again, you're saying, well, Matt, like the Celtics have Tatum, Brown. They had no Smart, but they have Tatum, Brown, Horford. You got Pritchard coming off the bench. You've got Grant Williams, you know, who had 27 in a game seven against Milwaukee. Like, what do you mean they're not, their offense is not good? And you're like, well, well, Matt, like Miami has Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero. He didn't play, but they have, you know, they have them. They have um, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent. You got Bam Adebayo. Like, there's plenty of talent on, on the floor for these teams. And I would say, sure. The problem with both these teams is they don't really have dribble penetration, dribble bucket getters. They have set, come off screen, set shooting bucket getters. Listen, Tatum can get a bucket at times, but a lot of times he likes to just kind of get a set shot or get a, you know, one dribble pull up shot. So he's not necessarily a come off a screen, or sorry, he's not necessarily like, I'm going to do all this dribble penetration and then hit this beautiful pass to the guy on the wing. One of the things Tatum has to do to evolve his game is become a better passer. Jalen Brown somehow just can't figure out how to dribble the ball. I mean, he had four or he had seven turnovers in game three, five of which seemed like they came off of him trying to dribble the ball. Marcus Smart tries to be a dribble bucket guy, but it's never been reliable. Grant Williams is clearly just a spot-up shooter or a down-low post-up guy. And then you've got Robert Williams and Al Horford, again, not dribble guys. Let's go to Miami now. Jimmy Butler, he can dribble and get a bucket for sure. Tyler Hero, dribble and get a bucket for sure, but sometimes he's super inconsistent, and sometimes he really is just becoming an off-the-screen spot shooter. But Gabe Vincent, spot shooter. Max Struess, spot shooter. Duncan Robinson, spot shooter. Victor Oladipo, not nearly as offensively gifted as he used to be. Bam, spot shooter. Dribble in the post, but not dribble from the wing to get a bucket. And then, you know, P.J. Tucker, corner three, down the line. So, I think part of the problem is, like, these teams, these teams that that are really, really good, they have such a diverse portfolio of ways to get a bucket offensively. But these two teams are so um, system-driven and so not dribble, dribble um, bucket getters that it really that they really struggle, and that there are times, um, there are times where there's they're just gonna have have droughts of scoring, and Miami had a drought in the first two quarters, and and honestly, they didn't really play super well in the third quarter either. Neither did Boston. They both had 19 points, but both these teams really struggled, or sorry, both these teams at times have really struggled in Game Four. Obviously, it was the Heat, but in other games, it's been Boston who have struggled. Um. So, it's been interesting. It, it basically, like you, it, betting on either of these teams is impossible because it, it changes game to game. Now you could say, well, the well, you could definitely say that the trend is this. It looks like Miami's going to be the best team ne- so far, or you know, coming up because it went Miami, Boston, Miami, Boston, and so you would assume <laughs> game f- game five back in Miami. Also, by the way, um, both teams have. 
won a home game and won a road game. So you can't even use that anymore. But now we're to, okay, well, if we're just following the trend here, it's going to be a blowout by Miami at home because it's been Miami, Boston, Miami, Boston, and now Miami's turn. So Miami blowout, right? I don't know. I honestly can't give you any sort of analysis that'll tell you either way because it's all going to depend on the first and third quarter with these teams. If Miami comes out super, super uh, aggressive and hits shots at home and hits threes, hits buckets, they're going to win this matchup right from the jump. But what happened in, in um, I want to say that was game one, was that massive third quarter by the Heat. So maybe it maybe it's a close game throughout, and then whoever takes over the third quarter, I don't know. But it's going to be the first or third quarter in each of these games. Those quarters were the ones that were won, and we're kind of determined the game. So that's my analysis on that one. Don't bet on it. Just watch. Maybe live bet a third quarter or first quarter here and there. But do not bet that game if you're if you're tight with your money, because there's nothing that will tell you what to do with your money with that with that series. Now on to last night's game between the Mavericks and the Warriors because this series was 3-0 and the Mavericks won last night, 119-109, so that's 3-1 now. And what the Mavericks were able to do last night is basically what their blueprint is. Luka drives. He had, I think he had 9 or 10 assists. Luka drives, kicks to open shooters, and they knock down shots. They shot 47% from three and 50% from the field. Bullock 6 for 10, Dorian Finney 4 for 7, um, Brunson 1 for 2, Kleba, Bertans, Dinwiddie all hit a 3, Nilakina hit 1 too, um, Powell didn't shoot 1 obviously, but Doncic was 3 for 11. He was only 33%, but then you've got Bullock 60%, you've got Dorian Finney-Smith who almost is, who's better than 50%, 56%. You know, so you're getting, they shot 20 of 43, you're getting a nice percentage from them in that regard. Their defense still wasn't necessarily great, but because they were hitting shots, they were able to kind of, you know, I mean, listen, the score the score of it being 109 to 19 is a little misleading. I mean, this game was 29 points at one point and Dallas's defense was stifling everything Golden State did. But giving up 109 points still is cause for concern if you're Dallas, but that is right on par with their defensive rating. They were about a 109, you know, all year, so that's right around what they were doing all year, and they were the sixth best defensive rating in the league. So it is kind of on track for what they want to do. They want to be able to to keep teams to about under 110, 105 if they can, um, and then they want to they want to hit at least 110, 120 right around that. Makes sense. Everything checks out with what they wanted to do. Um, but is it sustainable? Is the question? You know, I had a buddy text me last night while we were watching the game, and and he just said. You know, like, what are the chances this team, this Dallas team wins four in a row? And honestly, the the chance, the odds would be really high because of what they showed in the first three games. If they ever go cold at any one of these next now three games, they're going to lose. Because the the Warriors are a much more, again, diverse offensive team. Curry only had 20. I mean, Kaminga had 17, though. Poole had 14. A lot of this, again, was in time where they were down 29. But nonetheless... You know, like, but they can go get buckets in a variety of different ways. Dallas is basically constructed one way. Luka penetrate, kick to shooters, knock down shots, and then everybody goes, well, sometimes Luka shoots too much. No, he shoots too much if the shooters aren't hitting early, and then he realizes he has to take over. 
But the game, the structure is Luka penetration, get, get to the rim, collapse the defense, kick to shooters, knock down threes. Then once everybody starts to go out, then you can have Luka start to drive in, post up guys down low, guys get to the rim. But the, the structure of the offense always has been with, with Luka is penetration, collapse the defense, shooters. That's how a lot of offenses want to work. Maybe a little more quickly than Dallas plays, but that's basically... In this day and age in basketball, that is exactly the strategy. Drive, collapse, penetration, shoot. Kick to open shooters. That's why what Dallas has done with their roster is perfect for Luka. Now, the problem with that is if you go cold, you get real cold and you lose by 30 or 40. But if you're clicking, you can blow out teams or you can go on a sustained run even if it's a 10-point win. That's what got Dallas up 29. Obviously, they were able to co- to put the foot off the gas a little bit, which I didn't love. I obviously wanted them to just kind of murder them, but um, they didn't. So the the question is, where do we go from here? What, what, what adjustments do you make? Well, Golden State doesn't really need to make any adjustments because, again, it just came down to Dallas hitting open shots. Now, you could say, well, what Golden State was what is begging them to do, they finally did. And, and listen, Rosillo talks about this a lot. He's talked about this many times. You can't fake desperation. So, like, Dallas, Dallas was the way more desperate team because they were down 3-0. Golden State didn't have to, to be desperate. Golden State didn't have, to, didn't have to really try. You can't fake them and force them to be desperate when they're up 3-0. It just doesn't work that way. It's really hard to get teams to, that are up 3-0 to be like, oh, we have to get this one. They don't. <laughs> the reality is they don't have to get that one. Um, so, again, Rosillo talks about that. Desperation is, is hard to fake. So Dallas was clearly a desperate team, and you could say, and, again, one of the things that one of my buddies pointed out was, like, man, if you listen to that press conference after Game 3, like, they just felt like they were going to roll over. And, and, you know, maybe they would. But, again, with, with just a variance of just shooting threes, it can be quite extreme with how the games look. So I did believe that, that Dallas was going to win game four. I had him on minus – I had him at minus one. I got him at minus – I even took him on an alternate line of minus six and a half. I thought they were going to win by a lot, and they did. They won by 10. They were up by 29. I felt good about that basically the entire time. Um. But moving forward in Game 5 back in the Bay, nothing about Dallas makes me think they can win that game. Sorry, there are a few things, but I'm not very confident in it. (laughs) I mean, obviously you could say, well, if they just hit open shots and Golden State continues to just let them have the open shots. But just trust me now, because they hit in Game 4, Steve Kerr is going to make adjustments, and now I bet he's going to make them get to the rim. He's going to sell out on a lot of threes, and he's going to make him get to the rim, and he's going to say, okay, if Luka gets 50, but we're selling out and we're not letting open shooters get jump or open shooters get open jumpers, I think we can win this game if we hit shots back in the Bay. I expect Golden State to win Game 5. Um, I actually had Dallas in, in 7 in this series. Um, it's not going to happen anymore. Um, I believe Golden State wins this one in 5 now. Um, but there, it, it, Dallas, with, with Luka, anything is possible because he can create so much offense and, and do so much um, to get shooters open that you have to respect it. But if you ask me... This one is over in five back in the Bay for Golden State. And if you ask me for the other one for the the Eastern Conference Finals, I would definitely say that I think it's going seven. Um, And if it goes seven in in the Eastern Conference Finals, it's back in Miami. I don't really think that's any sort of of home court advantage. 
But it is an advantage nonetheless, so maybe Miami feels better at home with role players. They always play better at home. Um, but I think it's going seven. And I will probably – I'm still going to stick with Boston in seven. That's I think Boston is the better team. I think Boston has been the best team all year in the East. Um, numbers – well, it's not all year, but since January 1st, they've been the best team. And if, and if the numbers tell you anything, it's that that's correct. So I'm going to stick with that and go with Boston in seven. But what I've seen from them in some games is concerning. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if, if Miami wins this one just because of the trend that we've seen. All right, so we're going to take a quick break here. Um, and we're going to talk about the NBA draft. The draft lottery was just last week, so we ha- we know exactly what the draft order is now. And we'll talk about who we think's going you know, in the top numbers, um, what the top picks are going to be, and then who we think the most impactful and the best rookie of the class is going to be. We'll catch you in a second. Welcome back to the pod. Um, we're going to talk NBA draft stuff. I mentioned that on the last podcast that um, the lottery was happening. It happened um, last Tuesday. Um, and so we have exactly what the order is going to be for the draft. And we will now kind of look at what the order is um, from the first round on. And then we'll talk about what these mock drafts. I've got a few mock drafts pulled up. I'll talk about my personal opinion on who I think is going to be the best rookie in the class. Um I will say I'm two for two on picking the rookie of the year Um, the last two years. That's when I started to really start to put money on it and really start to care about it. Um, The only caveat is, is the guy that I picked this past season um, or, you know, this season to win did not win, but I feel like he was the rookie of the year, but he just got hurt. So listen, I know that Scotty Barnes is the rookie of the year this year, but if Evan Mobley doesn't get hurt and he plays a full season or a sem- somewhat of a full season or only is hurt a smaller amount of games, um, he's the MVP or the rookie of the year, sorry, and I make money. Um, I didn't, and that's just sometimes how gambling goes. Um, last year I had I had went on the pod and said LaMelo Ball was going to be the rookie of the year. He was, and then I feel like I would have had Evan Mobley this year if it wasn't for injuries. So I, th- I feel like I'm... Two for two with an asterisk. Um, you know, I don't believe in those, but I do believe in that when it comes to money. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But Scotty Barnes, rookie of the year this year, I did have him um, towards the middle of the year. I did have him as the number two. So I feel I feel vindicated somewhat. Um, but at the same time, I believe that Evan Mobley was the best rookie, regardless of in- if we're taking injury out of it, Evan Mobley was the most impactful in the rookie of the year. Anyway, we're going to dive right in, though. Um into the draft order here. So um, the draft lottery is is as follows. Magic got the first pick, the Thunder with the second pick, Houston with the third pick, Sacramento with your fourth pick, um, Detroit fifth, Indiana six, Portland seven, New Orleans from the Lakers, they have the eighth pick, um, San Antonio the ninth pick, Washington 10, Knicks 11, Oklahoma City also another pick in the top 15 at 12, Charlotte 13, Cleveland 14, Charlotte again, 15. They have two in the top 15. Atlanta, um, 16. Houston, by way of Brooklyn, they've got the 17th pick. The Bulls at 18. Minnesota Wolves, T-Wolves at 19. San Antonio from by way of Toronto. They are in the 20 spot. Denver, 21st. Memphis, by way from Utah, the 22nd pick. Philadelphia, 23rd. Milwaukee, 24th. San Antonio, via way from Boston. They are 25. Dallas, 26. Miami, 27. Golden State, 28, Memphis, 29, Oklahoma City, 30 by way of Phoenix. They have three picks um, in the top 30. 
Second round we won't go deep into because we're really only going to cover the first round in terms of mock draft. Um, probably only the top 15 picks. Once we get outside of that, it really just becomes a crapshoot. Um, but let's quickly kind of look at three draft mock drafts here for the top 15-ish, 10 to 15 picks. Um, we'll first start CBS. So CBS, David Cobb, guy I read a lot, um, a guy that I, I trust a lot in terms of mock drafts. Um, he has just put his out as of May 20th, so recording this on the 25th, five days ago he put this out. Um, I assuming assuming soon after the draft lottery has been named. Um, this would be my consensus number one pick as well, um, just based on who was drafted there. Um, something to kind of think about with these mock drafts and with who is drafting and 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 who is in the front office with these teams. So a lot of people may say Chet Holmgren is going to be the best player in the class. And we'll talk about where I fall on that in a second. But here's the thing with Chet, and we can't deny it, and we just kind of have to talk about it. He is a bit of an unknown in terms of what he could end up being. The bottom line is he could end up being a very, very super, super impactful and an, an, an all-star, maybe you know an MVP at some point, or just a super, super first-team All-NBA defense, offense-type player. The other fact of the matter is, is his floor could also be super low. And we talk about high ceiling, low floor guys. He's a high ceiling, low floor guy. Like, his low could be really low. He could be a massive bust. He never puts on weight. He never refines anything. He's always just kind of like 10 and 8, maybe 8 and 8. And it's just really tough and he gets injured. That could be his floor. His ceiling could be he puts a he puts weight on, he bulks up, he ends up being a 25 and 11 guy and he's an all-star for years to come. So, he's a high ceiling low floor guy. Um and the the reason I bring that up is because the teams at the top of this, mind you, Jabari Smith or sorry, not Jabari Smith, spoiler, he had he is who people have going number 1. The Orlando Magic number 1. Front office may not be willing to take a risk on a project and whisk willing being fi- willing Risk willing being fired in four years. Um, Oklahoma City, Presti may definitely be willing to take a risk. Houston may not be. Sacramento, they're going through a front office change. Maybe they will be. Detroit, you know, they've they've taken some swings. I doubt they're going to take a swing, though. Pacers, doubt they're going to take a swing. And now we're kind of outside of where Chet Holmgren might go. So just take a guess. Of all of the five teams that I named, Detroit, Sacramento, Houston, Orlando, and Oklahoma City, who's going to be willing with that front office to take a swing? You can figure out who that's going to be, and the mock draft is going to reflect that. But Ryan Rossillo always says, don't underestimate job security when it comes to these picks because job security will matter, and Presti will have job security no matter what happens, and he's willing to take the risk on a swing. Spoiler. The mock drafts will probably have Chet Holmgren going to Oklahoma City. But do not underestimate job security when it comes to these. And so that leads me to, to talking about who David Cobb has as his number one overall pick in this draft, and that's Jabari Smith. It's also who I believe is the home run slam dunk number one draft pick in this class. If you go to the ringer.com, they have Chet Holmgren going number one, Jabari Smith going number two. I don't think that um, Orlando is going to take that swing with Chet. If you go to mock draft, um, NBADraft.net, look at their mock draft. They have Jabari Smith going number one, Chet going number two. Those two are very interchangeable, one and two, on most mock drafts that you read. I would go Jabari Smith number one. I would then take Chet Holmgren number two. I believe Sam Presti is willing willing to put his clout and his job security on the line to take somebody that could end up being incredible down the line. 
The Ringer has Jabari Smith going number two to the Thunder. Again, those basically are kind of where you flip one and two. But let's go back to number one here for, for David Cobb. He talks about, and this is what he writes about Jabari Smith. Smith's uniqueness as a 6'10 shooter helped him stand out in college basketball. Defensively, opponents will test the... Um, We'll test the theory that he can guard one through five by trying to exploit his slender frame. Ultimately, though, all the tools are there. He will be a very, very solid fit at Orlando. Um, as it pertains to Jabari Smith on the rock, the Ringer mock draft, they have his shades of, they don't want to say comps because I feel like comps is too close on, shades of 2A Richard Lewis, a taller Harrison Barnes, and a, and a Michael Porter Jr. without the back problems. But let's talk... Um, and this is what they have him in terms of the description. Um, this is, again, this is Kevin O'Connor's mock draft. Smith will in instantly inject some much-needed knockdown shooting and defensive versatility into the Thunder's lineup. The six foot ten with quickness can grow into a positionless weapon. Oklahoma City can utilize him like a per perimeter player running through screens and handoffs and sprint for open threes or drives to the basket. Playing him alongside Shea Gilgis Alexander and Josh Giddy should open up chances for him to become more of a creator. The Thunder have a lot of exciting players on their young roster, but they do need somebody who can score at the end of the clock while complimenting other creators throughout a full game. They believe, and um, Kevin O'Connor believes, that Jabari Smith can do that. Now, let's get to the unicorn. Let's get to the, the high-ceiling, low-floor guy in Chet Holmgren. So, David Cobb has him going number two to the Thunder, as does NBADraft.net, as um, the ringer has him going number one. But let's just talk about the comps and kind of the shades of what they have. Chet Holmgren, this is David Cobb, has him going second. Given the makeup of OKC's roster, Holmgren looks like the right call. The concerns over his physicality and ability to handle the rigors of the NBA with a lanky seven-foot frame, though, are legitimate. But the Thunder are in total rebuild and can afford some time to develop him. Ringer has him going number one, but Chet Holmgren shades up a Gen Z Pau Gasol, Rudy Gobert with perimeter skills. The Magic are back at number one for the first time since 04 when they took Dwight Howard, another franchise center who could be falling into their lap. Giannis Antetokounmpo to Jonathan Isaac, John Hammond and John Whiteman have a history of draft. Um, sorry, John Hammond and John Whiteman have a history of drafting lengthy prospects going back to their time running the Bucks. Holmgren fits a lot of the same description, looking like a looking and playing like a skinnier Rudy Gobert, but with athleticism and elite awareness. Holmgren would thrive next to Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner as a supporting piece around the rim. And if Jonathan Isaac is able to finally return healthy, they'd have the upside to have a formidable defense. On offense, he could serve as a lob threat who can also drain threes and make plays off the dribble. Playing in Orlando should allow him to show even more depth on offense. There's a, there's a longer scouting report, but I'm just going to read you the brief um, description there. Let's move into number three. I think it is pretty much an overwhelming majority that Paolo Banchero or Bancaro, however you want to pronounce it, I don't know exactly what it is, is going third to Houston. Let's read David Cobb's comps here. In my pre-draft lottery mock draft, Bancaro went to Houston at number over one, but he slips to number three in this pool or this post-lottery version. He still lands with the Rockets. They feel he's the right fit. Pancaro would pair well with Jalen Green. His floor is as solid. His floor, he's a... Basically, not low ceiling, but ceiling is the roof. It kind of is what it is, but he's a but he's a very um, high floor guy. You're not going to lose a ton of risk with drafting. The, you're not going to have a ton of risk in drafting this guy. His floor is as, as solid all around NBA four, makes him a low risk pick, no brainer at number three. Bancaro, according to The Ringer, 
Jalen Green needs signs around him, and adding a six foot ten Ben Caro would be a huge boon. Ben Caro is an elite shot creator and would help carry the offense alongside Green. They can work with or without the ball. Swapping opportunities generate offense. Of all the top picks, Ben Caro is obviously the most ready to get buckets the second he steps on the NBA floor. But he's the furthest away from a contributing defender, which raises questions next to Alperen Sengun or Christian Wood. Still, he would create a multi-positional defender who could someday serve as an important piece as a defensive unit. I think he's a, a slam dunk number three pick. Number four, this is where it starts to kind of, you know, maybe differ. David Cobb has A.J. Griffin going number four to the Kings. The ringer has um, Shadon Sharp. And number four in the NBA Draft.net mock draft, they have Jaden Ivey. This is where top three are almost solidified. They're going to go one of the, you know, one of the top three picks. But everything else after this is where it gets wild. And I'm not going to read every single comp for all these players, every single shades of, or every single description. But I will, if there's, if there's a consensus, I'll read them all. If there's not, I'll kind of break it off. So, let's talk A.J. Griffin, because this is definitely out of the ordinary. A.J. Griffin is going to the Portland Trailblazers in the ringer draft. And he's going to New Orleans in the NBA.net draft. Or NBA draft.net. So, here we go. A.J. Griffin, according to David Cobb, with the Kings deeply invested in De'Aaron Fox now and also developing last year's number number nine overall pick, Davion Mitchell, in the backcourt, they should look real long and hard at David Griffin, or David Griffin, at A.J. Griffin as an off-ball threat whose elite three-point shooting would make him a nice compliment to those two on the wing. Griffin can give them help as a 3 and D weapon immediately and develop into more over time. Um... Going to number seven in the Ringer mock draft, it's a much shorter description. Griffin is is at his best as a 3 and D role player type, something he displayed all season long for Duke, but he has on-ball skill that could turn him into a go-to scoring presence. The Blazers have long needed a rangy wing defender who can also score next to Dame. Griffin can also provide some something they've been missing for years as a long-term upside, um, as well as long-term upside, sorry. So, obviously, they have him as, uh, the Ringer has him as shades of Jalen Brown, TJ Warren, and a three-point shooting Jimmy Butler. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Um, but there we are. Number five, David Cobb, Keegan Murray. Number five, Jaden Ivey for the, for the ringer. And number five, Keegan Murray for Detroit. So let's talk about Keegan Murray for a second. He's a logical fit next to Cade Cunningham, as David Cobb writes. A tremendous value if he slips to Detroit. If you throw out age, he'll be 22, and just look at the game, there's a good chance Murray could be the first player from his draft class to make, an all NBA, uh, to make the NBA All-Star game. He's coming from a program that hasn't produced a first-round pick since 1998. That will obviously change. And considering the quantum leap he's made as a sophomore, it's tantalizing to consider what additional elements of Murray's game can be unlocked by NBA staff. Um, Ringer has him going six, one pick after to the Pacers. They read this about Keegan Murray. Tyrese Halliburton is already locked in as the Pacers point guard of the future, and now they can add a versatile wing and potential running mate in Murray. The two could lead a new generation in Indy. Murray could also fit nice, nicely next to Miles Turner if they if they want to keep him as someone who can thrive on the perimeter with a knockdown jumper and defensive versatility. He's a 3 and D forward, which also means Turner could stay at center and the Pacers could play five out. Number six, Jaden Ivey. This is the swap between the ringer and David Cobb. Number six, they have Jaden Ivey going to the Pacers. The ringer has Keegan Murray going to the Pacers. Let's talk about Jaden Ivey. Or sorry, they, uh, the ringer has Jaden Ivey going to the the Pistons. But let's talk Jaden Ivey here. Jaden Ivey, according to David Cobb, the Pacers already have tons invested in their backcourt, obviously with Tyrese Halliburton. But if Ivey is there at number six, they might have to take him. 
The way he gets downhill and finishes in the paint with rim and the combina combination of athleticism and touch is reminiscent of John Morant. While Ivy lacks Morant's distri distri distribution skills and is more of a shooting guard, the upside is that he has the potential to be a better defender. According to The Ringer, Jaden Ivey, shades of Donovan Mitchell, a jumbo Darius Garland, and Victor Oladipo. Pretty much anyone can fit nicely next to Cade Cunningham in, in Detroit. Remember, uh, the ringer guide has him going to the, the Pistons. That's a testament to Cade's ability to control the game with veteran intellect. He's a major talent with all-star potential in the coming years. Pairing him with Jaden Ivey, another potential all-star guard, would give the Pistons one of the most exciting backcourts in the league. That would be an NBA league pass team for me for sure. That's me adding that antidote, not the ringer. There's a defensive mentality, though, being instilled in Detroit with Cunningham, Isaiah Stewart, and others setting the tone on a nightly basis. That kind of culture would obviously likely run off, rub off on Ivy, who struggled at that end of the floor at Purdue. But adding another dynamic shot creator to this roster would be a huge win. All right, so again, um, number seven, um, which is David Cobb, he has shade on Sharp going to, to Portland. Um, as I mentioned, the Ringer draft has AJ Griffin going to Portland. Um, Shadon Sharp is dropping down to San Antonio in the NBA mock draft pick here. So I'm not going to continue to read these descriptions, but we'll just kind of run through the names. David Cobb has Shadon Sharp going to the Portland Trailblazers. He had um, Ajabi from Kansas going to New Orleans. He has Jeremy Sochan going from um, Baylor who has shot up mock drafts and shot up draft boards based on his combine. Um, he's got him going to the Spurs. He's got Benedict Matherin, um, Ben Matherin going 10 to the, the Wizards. Um, Nikola Jovic, not the same as Jokic. Nikola Jovic going to the Knicks. We've got Terry Eason um, from LSU going to the pick, the pick 12 to the Thunder. Um, Osamane um, Jang or Diang. Um, from France, going to the Hornets. We got Malachi Branham from Ohio State, the Ohio State, going to the Cavs. Um, Mark Williams from Duke going to Charlotte. That rounds out the top 15. And then Ty Ty Washington, another big guy going, um, another big name going to the Atlanta Hawks. Back to the Ringer Draft Guide. Again, A.J. Griffin going to the Portland Trailblazers. Johnny Davis, a name you didn't hear in the mock draft for David Cobb. They um, he uh, blah, 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 The Ringer. Has them going, has him going to New Orleans, eighth pick. Matherin going to the Spurs. Sochan going to the Wizards. Jalen Duran, who is um, at 17 on the David Cobb draft. They have, the ringer has him going number 11 to the Knicks. Um, Jang going to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Mark Williams going to Charlotte. Dyson Daniels, a name you didn't hear also on David Cobbs. They have him going all the way up from the, the G League night. Um, they have him going to the Cavs. Ajabi going to Charlotte. Um, Terry Eason going to LSU at 16. A massive jump in the ringer draft. EJ Liddell going to um, the Rockets. And then Malachi Branham from Ohio State. Two Buckeyes going back to back. Um, ringer guide has Malachi Branham going to the Bulls. For the NBA Draft.net mock draft, we got Benedict Matherin all the way up at six to the um, Pacers. Portland Trailblazers have Johnny. Da uh, they have Portland taking Johnny Davis, AJ Griffin going to New Orleans, Shadon Sharp San Antonio, um, Ajabi Washington, Ty Ty Washington going to New York, Terry Eason Oklahoma City, Jalen Duran Charlotte, Malachi Branham Cleveland, Nikola Jovic Charlotte, Mark Williams Atlanta, Sochan Houston. And that will round out the big major names there. Um, let's see. Mark. Uh, Mark. NBADraft.net has EJ Liddell dropping to the 31 pick um, to the Pacers. I think that's a bit of a, a bit of a stretch. 
but we'll see. Let's see. Johnny Davis going all the way to the Bucks and David Cobbshaft. That would be insane. Um, EJ Liddell going to the Spurs. What a great fit that would be. So I, I told you I would give you who I think is going to be the best player from the class and then who I think is going to win Rookie of the Year. I think Paolo Bancaro is going to win Rookie of the Year. I think he's going to have so many so many opportunities to be incredibly good, and he's the best all-around NBA-ready player right now. So I think Paolo Bancaro ends up winning the Rookie of the Year from this class. But I do think that Chet Holmgren, if he bulks up, is going to end up being the long-term best player in this draft class. He's got a ton of upside like... like um, Evan Mobley, he reminds me a ton of Evan Mobley, um, a better shooter probably than Evan Mobley, not as good of a defender, but can be as good of a defender. Um, the vision isn't there, but it can be. But he's just got all these tangible skills that I think over time he's just going to be so freaking good. He's just got to bulk up. Um, but overall, I think Paolo Bancaro is going to be the um, the rookie of the year this upcoming year. So let me see if we can get some draft, get some odds on that. Um See if we can get some odds. I'm going to assume they're going to have Jabari Smith as number one because he's going to be the number one pick. But we'll see here. I don't see any yet. Taking a look here. Well, it looks like they don't have any odds posted yet. Obviously, um, you know, player teams haven't drafted. We don't know exactly where players are going to go, so that would make sense. I just thought they might have something. Um, obviously, expect Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, and Paolo to be the betting favorites. Um, but I do think that Paolo is going to win it. You'll probably get him at the third best odds. So that may be your best shot, some value there. Um, but that is how I see um, the NBA draft kind of playing out. I do believe the top three picks are pretty pretty set in stone. I think it's going to be um, Jabari, Chet, Paolo. Um, I think that, that Jaden Ivey is going to go four. I know some of these mock drafts have him dropping lower. Um, I don't think he drops any lower than five. Um, I think Keegan Murray probably goes top five as well. I think that A.J. Griffin is going to drop out of the top five. I don't see him going number four two to Sacramento. I do have Sacramento getting um, Jaden Ivey, but I can see Shade on Sharp going there as well. Um, and then Jaden Ivey going to Detroit probably is his best best chance, um, but we'll see. Um, that is going to do it. That is going to wrap up another episode of In the Paint. As I mentioned, we're going to be doing these weekly, so please like, review, rate, subscribe, download, subscribe to the podcast, all platforms, streaming podcasts. Please tell your friends, tell your family, tell the fam, um, tell everybody you know. We're popping off. Um, but that is going to do it for another episode. Thanks for listening. All right, fam. Peace.